Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for Him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com. Galatians 5, verses 22 to 26, and it's on page 100, sorry, 811. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Dear Father God, just thank you for this morning. Thank you that we can gather as your people. We thank you that we can meet with you and through your word that you will speak to us. So Lord, I do pray that you would teach us more about you and in turn teach us more about ourselves and the people you want us to be. We ask that you bless this time to us in Jesus' name. Amen. With every decade, there's something that happens in that decade that's known, that's remembered for. So back in the 80s, not many of you are there, I know. For me, I remember this visibly. It was a pop culture. Pop culture become really big. The trends just all stood out. In the 90s, it was more innovation, all this technology stuff happening. It's already outdated, but it was there. In the 2000s, it was the information age, technology, but now you can have it in your own home. I know that picture looks dated, but yes, it's from the 2000s. People had computers at home, hook up to the web, information everywhere. The 2010s was the social revolution that everybody could have this social connection with each other in their hands, on their phones. That changed everything with all sorts of apps that we could get onto. But now we're in the 2020s, what will this be known for, do you think? In 20 years' time, when people look back on us living now, what would we be known for? I'm going to have a guess, and it comes from the menu log ad. Uh, I'm sure you know it. I'm not going to sing it for you. Katy Perry's words are in my head. They can't get out. Uh, But you know the words. It's like an anthem for who we are today. When you're running low, there's only one place to go because I get what I want when I want it. Margarita with extra cheese on it. Download now. All I've got to do is pull out my phone. Easy. One, two, three. And on it goes. But it's not menu log, it's other apps, isn't it? I get what I want when I want it. This is our era. And it's good. It's a good time to live in history because everything's so handy. We sit on the lounge and get everything almost immediately. It's a great time to be alive. Whether you want to order food, you don't have to get off your lounge. Whether you've eaten too much, you need a sick certificate, a doctor's certificate, you can get one over the phone, you do your shopping, do your banking. I can find somebody to clean my gutters. Over the phone, I can find somebody to date, if I was after a date. I'll find somebody to date. My wife's not here, sorry, this morning. (laughs) Kim knows. Um, But you can do that just over the phone. With a few clicks, don't even have to get off the lounge. You can find it. And we know what it's like to have that instant gratification. I know what I want, when I want it, and I can have it now. But what happens when we don't get what we want when we want it? I was talking to somebody about this this idea and preaching on patience and what they thought about it. And he says, well, actually, I find patience really easy to do. 
as long as everybody else agrees with me. It's kind of that, it's not hard until something pushes back on you. See, the problem is, there's lots of problems that test my patience. Where I live at Rochdale South, driving to our church over at Southside, there used to be um, five sets of traffic lights. I knew it took me eight minutes to get to church driving. Always standard. Over the last couple of years, they've added another three sets of traffic lights. It's now eight traffic lights. It's, now it takes me 10 minutes. I sit at those traffic lights every day. I go to the church building, whether it's church or office or work or whatever. For an extra two minutes, I just sit there at the traffic lights going, somebody's ripped off two minutes out of my life. And then four minutes because I've got to drive home. How dare they take my time out of my life? And it, every, you think I'd get over it, but every day I sit at the lights, a new set of lights, and they always go red on me and I get frustrated about it. I could get up two minutes earlier and get, leave two minutes earlier to allow for that. But something inside of me says, no, I have a right to get angry. I have a right to be frustrated because I've been robbed. And I just want to get angry with it. Angry at the traffic lights. I want to write a letter. I want to write a letter. Sorry, I should get on my app to put a complaint in on my app to go, this is not right. You can't do this to me. I get frustrated really easy at traffic lights. Now, they're kind of, that's kind of a little thing in the things of life even though it works me up. It's kind of a little thing. But what about the bigger things? Things that you've been disappointed about or you've waited for. Things that you lose patience over, those long-term dreams that you've had. I've always wanted this career path and just time and time again, the door's being shut. I really want to be married, but I haven't found the right person. Mr Charming hasn't come along. I really want to start a family but years and years are flicking by. Sometimes our healing, physical pain, we want healing, we pray. It sounds like we're not asking too much, but then years go by and it seems unachievable. And who do we get angry at then? Do we get angry at God? Because I'm not getting what I want when I want it. Do we get angry at the people around us? Sometimes we just get angry with the world. See, this fruit of the Spirit, talking about patience, when our world is getting faster, when our world is getting better, when I get what I want, when I want it, patience has become this thing that's been a real challenge for us and that's not getting any easier. It's actually something we might have lost the art of patience. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to see what patience looks like for God himself through Jesus what is, what is patience? Is God patient? Let's look at something that happened in Jesus. We're going to look at uh, how that works out for us. How do we experience God's patience? So that, that'll make it easier for us to know how can we be patient with other things in our lives. So three things we're going to challenge uh, ourselves to think about this patience. The first bit is what does patience look like? And I want to just pull up a story about Jesus with Thomas. So Jesus uh, had died on the cross, he rose again, which was a miracle, right? You're not expecting people to rise from the dead. But yet he died, he went to the house where the disciples were, and he shows them, and the disciples are amazed that Jesus is truly risen from the dead, but Thomas wasn't there. So then uh, Thomas, when the dis- Jesus leaves, the disciples are so excited, they go to tell Thomas, you don't believe, can't believe what I... Well, you should believe it, because we saw it, we spoke to Jesus, it's true. And what does Thomas say? 
unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, that's where the spear went in, I will not believe. So hang on, Thomas, you know, what's going on? So Jesus turns up again the next week. This time Thomas is there. He goes straight to Thomas and he says, put out your hands. See the scars in my hand. Put out your hand into my side where the spear went in. It's true. Now, it's, kind of, it's easy to read that and just get lost in the moment. Just, oh yeah, that's a nice moment for Thomas. But for Jesus, how much patience would that require for Jesus to just come in and say that? Now, I know where all our personality types are a little bit different and how we respond to when our patience is tested. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the term uh, rhinos and hedgehogs, where rhino, if you've got a rhino personality type, you just get fired up and you just charge. You charge, you want to take your anger out on anything that's in front of you. Or we can be a hedgehog where we close it in. We're not going to attack, but we're going to roll up in a ball and put our spikes out. And you don't want to be near that person because they're spiky and just uncomfortable. They do that to protect themselves. Now, if Jesus was a rhino, he'd have every right to come into that room with Thomas and just go, just give him everything. Hey, Thomas, guess what sort of week I've had? You know, I was arrested, beaten, mocked. You know, they killed me, killed me on a cross in front of everybody and locked me in a tomb. So I get raised from the... I beat death this week, Thomas. I get up, I unwrap my, my bandages. Somebody puts a rock over my tomb. So I have to roll away the rock. And then I come out and to show everybody, and you're not here. You're not here. What have you done this week, Thomas? I saved the world. What have you done? You might associate with that when you get a bit fired up if you're a rhino. You sort of, you just want everybody to know about your issues. Or if you're a hedgehog, if Jesus come in and just said, oh, Thomas, you know you've been hanging around for the last three years or so. You've heard me preach. You've heard me heal people. You've heard me talk about dying and beating death and rising from the grave again. Or maybe you're asleep when I was talking about that stuff because last week I turned up to show you that I was raised from the dead. You weren't here. Oh, it's all right, Thomas. Maybe you're asleep again. So, you know, that passive-aggressive kind of attitude. Maybe we can be a bit like that when we lose patience, when we get angry and frustrated with other people. We don't raise our voice, but we can just slide in those aggressive little, little jabs. But Jesus doesn't do this. Jesus has this really patience with Thomas. Because all that's true is with Jesus for three years, heard all the stories, but, but didn't, uh, didn't believe. So Jesus' patience is this long-suffering, like he's been over and over and over and again with the disciples and restrained, because Jesus had every right to be a bit cranky, right? That Thomas wouldn't believe that Jesus did what he said he would do. He had right to be cranky, but he's restrained in that. So it's, it's a particular kind of patience that Jesus shows that we can learn from. I want to get a little bit nerdy and tell you about three words, three Greek words, because the Bible, the New Testament was written in Greek. It's written in the first century, Roman Empire, lots of Greek culture. And there's three Greek words you could translate as patience. It's helpful just to go into each word because they're, they're all slightly different. I'm not nerdy enough to have the Greek font. Sorry, it's in English to help us understand it. 
The anekamai, uh, its emphasis is to, pres- uh, to persevere and endure. So it's kind of an active kind of um, idea of patience. I'm going to beat this. The second one is katereo, is to be strong and not give up. And that quality is quite courageous. It looks strong. I'm going to stand up here and I'm, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give in. But there's this third one, macrothymia, is long-suffering and restrained. It's quite passive compared to the other two. So rather than forcing the issue, I'm going to stand here till the other guy gives up, it's very passive. I'm not going to force the event or the occasion. I'm going to wait till things unfold. Now, it's very interesting. If you look at there's the Bible that has written in Greek in the first century, but there's also many other documents written in the Greek in the first century that they can look at and look at words. You know, the, the first two are very commonly used in other Greek writings, often used to describe warfare and armies, that our army went in, they're outnumbered, but they had patience in a way. They endured, they didn't give up because it, it's courage, it's mighty. But then there's that third one, macrothymia, almost never appears outside the Bible. And you kind of go, why don't they use that one? Because it looks weak. If you were talking about your army, you want to be strong, you don't want to look weak, that you just want to be long-suffering, that you just want to um, be restrained. It hardly ever appears outside the New Testament. So why would... um, Well, let me ask you, what do you think describes God mostly? When God is described in the Bible, and even the Greek guys translating the Old Testament, when they used a Greek word, can you guess which Greek word they would use? It's makrothamia. It's the long-suffering. It's restraint. So when you see the words, uh, God is slow to anger, it's that kind of patience. It's long-suffering. It's restraints. Not that God can't get angry. He does get angry sometimes, and sometimes he should get angry. But in patience, God's patience, it's restrained. It's held back, and it's long-suffering from God. He's just not going to push events. He's going to wait. So, for example, uh, for Israel, Israel did time and time again. They disappointed God time and time again. They, they failed God, but God was patient. It's that long-suffering. I'm just going to wait for you guys. I'm going to restrain from getting angry. I'm going to hold it back. Now, in, I should say, in the New Testament, the other Greek words are used to describe Christians. Not that the other words are bad, but we should be, um, uh, that we should have endurance and perseverance and we shouldn't give up. That's also in the New Testament. But the fruit of the Spirit, when it talks about patience or forbearance, it uses this word macrothamia, long-suffering, restrained. So this is a new challenge for us because we don't like to look weak. We don't like to look passive. We want to tell people, stand up for our rights and tell people what we really think. But this is like, no, no, patience that God has, patience of the fruit of the Spirit is held back. And that's what we see in Jesus, that Jesus was patient with Thomas. He was restrained. He was long-suffering with Thomas. Now, it would be easy to get together as a church here and to go, we need to be more patient. 
You need to do this. You need to be more open to be long-suffering and don't get angry too quick. But it's actually really hard to do. And it's hard to do unless we know that we've seen it in action or we've experienced ourselves. And that's where we can see the Bible tells us how patient God has been with us. Because like, well, when you read the Bible, what do you think of the people Israel? They're God's people in the Old Testament. They were his children. But as I read the Old Testament, particularly if you read big chunks of it, you see how God called out Abraham from nothing. God saved the Israelites out of slavery. But yet he made them into a great nation, led them through to the promised land. The promised land, they had land, they had peace, they had wealth. They were a people. They had everything in the promised land. But what did they do once they got into the promised land? They wanted to be like the other nations. They said, we want a king. They said, but God's our king. God's led us here. Why do you want a human king when we've got God? No, no, other nations have kings, a man that sits on the throne. We want to be like the other nations. In long-suffering, God gave them a king. We want to be like the other nations have idols, you know, the good luck charms. If you please the idol, it makes you prosperous, it blesses you. We want to take on idols. So they started taking on idols. They didn't fully trust in God. Then they started worshipping the gods of the nation, set up other temples to other gods, not just having the God of the Bible. They took on other gods. And you read this stuff, if you're like me, and you go, how could they be so foolish? God has done all this stuff for them. He's proven himself. Yet they just seem so foolish. Then the last straw is when they start sacrificing their children to the other gods. It's like, what are you thinking? God has done all... Like he's making you prosper. He's giving you children. And you're sacrificing them, not to him, but to the gods of the pagans. What are you doing? And you get so... This is nuts. No wonder God is long-suffering. No wonder God's going to do... That's when he steps in and starts dealing with them face on. Well, then for Thomas, I read the story of Thomas and go, Thomas, you had a dream opportunity. Like, how would you like to spend three years out of your life to follow Jesus around? Hear firsthand Jesus preaching. You don't have me or Mike. You have Jesus coming up and preach. You see firsthand his healing, his miracles that he was doing. You can see it all first. You see him be sacrificed, like he said. You see him risen from the dead. And then to go, well, <laughs> what's the opposite to resurrection? It's going down. <laughs> you see him, I'm not going to believe it. Yeah, Thomas, what do you think? You've had an opportunity of a lifetime. It's only 12 disciples, and what have, you, what have you done? It's like, you're crazy. But then you, you do take a step back, and then you realise, actually, I'm more like Israel than I realise. You know, I look around at our nation around us, and rather than trusting God, seeing God, all the blessings that he's given me, all the way he's, lead, all the way he's been patient with me, and I want to be like everybody else. They go away for their weekends, they have big careers, they make lots of money, they do all this stuff, and I look at that and go, yeah, maybe I should go down that path, like all the other people, like all the other uh, people pursuing other gods. And I doubt God and I I lack trust in God. Or like Thomas, when I say to God, you know, things aren't working out like I thought they would. Actually, I'm starting to have some doubts and I need you to prove yourself. 
Prove yourself to me so I know I can trust you. All of a sudden, I'm Thomas. So actually, see, they actually reveal something about me, that God has been very patient with me, long-suffering, restrained. He had every right to be angry with me, but he's been restrained year after year after year when I disappoint him. So now that I've realised that God has been so patient with me and what that looks like, and I think you need to do that to understand how to be patient with other people, that God's been super patient with us. And now we can look at how do we show that same patience to other people. There's a whole bunch of passages all scattered through the New Testament, but there is one place in the New Testament that talks about this kind of macrothymia patience But it talks about in three different areas. So there's three different areas Christians are called to be patient. And in this James chapter 5 passage, it brings out all three. Patient with God, patient with others, and patient in our circumstances. Uh, So it's there, James chapter 5, reading from verse 7. Be patient, and this is this macrothymia patience. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. So waiting for God's return to take us home. And verse 8, different kind of, it's same patience but applied differently. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. So we have patience with each other. And then verse 10 Uh, Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke the name of the Lord. See, if you know the story of the prophets through the Old Testament, when they got given the calling to be a prophet, we go, great, I want to do something special for the kingdom. I'd love to be a prophet. Actually, you're given a message to tell people to repent. They're not going to like it. In fact, most prophets were killed. In the job description, it's like, don't buy a return ticket. Like, you're going to die. That's what the life of the prophets. But he said they had patience for God, long-suffering, restrained. That's the kind of patience the prophets had. You too. So let's just break these three down a little bit because this is where the rubber hits the road a little bit. And there's lots of other verses we could speak to. I'll just bring out, just spend a couple of minutes on each of these three because they're important to us. So to be patient with God's return uh, one of the passages, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, where it says, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord's day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but, anyone, but everyone to come to repentance. Now, I'm not sure how you feel about being patient for God's return. I reckon for most of us, and I might be just thinking about me and applying to you, but let me know if you disagree. I reckon for most of us, this is an easy one. In fact, we're not so worried about God's return. You could say it's like a false patience. It's almost apathy. I don't really care when he comes back. I say that because we live in a place that's so prosperous, that's so nice. It's a beautiful part of the world, that life is good, We're not longing for Jesus' return tomorrow. I've actually got a few projects I want to do before he comes back. So we kind of, it's that kind of, I'm not worried about it. But actually we should be, because even in this verse, 
it, re it refers to God's patience with us. In fact, the reason he didn't come back last year or the year before is because he wanted you to repent and return to him. Or any, your friends and neighbours, your family members, to return. The only reason he's coming back is to see more people coming into the kingdom. If he come back more than 50 years ago, you know, I wouldn't be here. So thank you, God, for your patience in holding that off. So now... It's actually not, if you're apathetic about this, that we don't really care about it, it's actually we don't have God's values. We don't, we're working to our plan, not his. But if we're taking this seriously, actually time is short. The days are numbered for us to see our friends, our family, our neighbours come into the kingdom. And maybe that's you here today, that you're here and you're not sure about the kingdom, not sure about God. Well, Jesus could come back, but he's patiently waiting for you to get to that point, that long-suffering of just longing for your child to come home. That's the sort of patience God has. So we should, be, uh, should, we should care about this and we should be thankful for God's patience and we should use that patience, use that time to, to uh, see others come into his kingdom. What about patience with others? This could be a bit more of a challenge. So Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13 speaks about this again. Uh, so reading from verse 12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If anyone of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. This is this thing about we've experienced the love of God. We've experienced his patience and kindness. We should treat others the same. Now, there's a couple of ways you could experience this, particularly if you're like me, that that's, there's a church setting, but there's also the life setting, particularly if you live with other people in your house, your spouse, or you're still with your family. It's easy to... It might be best if I explain my situation. I've had a big day. I'm coming home, and I'm just... I'm cooked. I've got no energy, no time for anybody. I come home, particularly when the kids were little. Kim's there uh, uh, with the kids. And I just go in. Okay, I'm trying to be positive. The smallest thing is like the straw that breaks a camel's back. And I'm like the rhino in that case. Or I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm a bit of both. I'm the hedgehog who rolls up, but once you poke me too much, I it, they explode. So he's kind of like, do you know what kind of day I've had? And what you guys mean, you should be better than that. You should be doing that. So I just vent to them. And it's because I've lost my patience. I've just used it all up during the day. And for some reason, I'm sure there's a good explanation for it, we take it out on the people close to us. We take it out on the people who love us, that we vent to them. And it's actually, you know, when Kim, to her credit, said, look, this is not good, you coming home like this. So I started doing this thing, and maybe it's helpful for you. Come in the driveway, big day, exhausted. Just take 30 seconds to have a bit of a debrief. The day was full, busy, didn't go as planned. But when I walk in that door, they've probably had a big day too. They're tired, they've had enough, they're ready to snap as soon as I walk in the door. So actually, my goal is leave my work behind. And what I'm going to do is try to make their, their afternoon the best afternoon possible. Forget about the other stuff. But I'm going to try and lift them because they're tired and cranky too. And that changed the world for me and for us just to have that little bit I need to step back and just assess where I'm at 
But what about with each other? See, in a church setting, it's easy to be disappointed with the people around us, that they test our patience. You know, I expected them to help more, to help me in my time of need. I expected more support from them. I just expected better. They call this a church, a community, but I'm not getting it. And it is that long-suffering that you can be, feel disappointed, that you can feel even hurt by the people around us. It's interesting that almost every book of the New Testament written to churches mentions something about having patience with one another and you go, wow, this is so good, such a beautiful picture. But it's there in every letter because no church gets it right. We're all people, we all come together and we all hurt each other. So how do we have patience with each other? Well, in the Colossians passage, it reminds us to be forgiving with each other. That we'll never be the perfect church, but we can be quick to forgive, quick to love. We can do that. That that's why we can have patience with each other because we know our faults. We know we've experienced God's patience. We'd be patient with each other by dealing with that tension and quick to forgive because that's the way Jesus treated us. So that's, that's a big challenge for us, to be patient with others. What about this third one, to be patient in our situation? There's another verse in Hebrews that goes like this. Hebrews chapter 6 from verse 13. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, that long-suffering restraint, Abraham received what was promised. Talking about a child. <clears throat> now in a world of instant gratification, I get what I want when I want it. It's this sort of stuff can be really hard. Really hard. Like Abraham, you know, the idea in that culture, your, uh, people thought more highly of you the more children you had. If you had no children, well, God must be angry with you and people look down on you. You were cursed in a sense. Abraham and his wife Sarah had no children. And then when God come along and says, look, I will give you many descendants. So you're going to have at least one child who's going to uh, have this whole family tree. But yet Sarah thought it was a joke. She was nearly 100 years old. So she's like, come on, God, that's not going to happen. So that sort of long-suffering patience, like, that really tests you. I don't think this is ever going to happen, even though God said it would happen. But then eventually they had a child, a son. It did come through. But that tested that patience. Or like we talked about the prophets. The prophets were an interesting group of people because they were always outsiders. They were never accepted as regulars. So if you had a job as a prophet to tell the people they need to repent and come to God, in the world's eyes, you would say, you'd have to say, they missed out. They often never had families. They often, uh, this was their career path, so they, they never had their own houses, their own places, their own wealth. They looked weak. They missed out on the fun of life and they just didn't fit in with the rest of society. But they didn't get angry. They had patience. Now, I think most of us fit into one of those two categories, like Abraham, that you're hanging on to something you're praying to God and you pray and you pray and you pray. But you've got to have that long-suffering patience on God, that trusting his timing. And that's hard. Or like the prophets, that you don't fit in. You, you stand out. You're not, 
getting what everybody else has got. So you feel like you're missing out. That's long-suffering, to have that patience on God that he's all you need. It's not easy when we don't get what we want when we want it. It's not easy. And I don't think we have to fill in the dots too much in these sort of stories to, for you to know that. I'm not convincing you. I don't have to convince you of anything. You know the meaning of long-suffering. But that just know that you have a Father God who knows what long-suffering is like too. Whether we saw it with Israel, whether we saw it with Thomas, whether we saw it with us, God has a patience for us, that long-suffering restrained that he shows on us, that's demonstrating a great love for you to see you coming to his kingdom. Wanting his people to trust in him. He's wanting you to trust in him in life circumstances. So let me encourage you to keep praying. The story about the persistent widow that Jesus told, keep praying. God hears, he loves to hear you. Come to him with your prayers and requests. But also, as much as possible, share it with each other and share each other's load in that as a church family, that we have patience with each other. We want to support each other and we want to be praying for each other to be where, to have the desires fulfilled that God's put on your heart. So to be concerned for each other. We can live that out with forgiveness. We can live that out by seeing God's kingdom expand, waiting for Jesus' return. But we can also live that out in our own desires, that patience that God promises, that God calls us to through the fruit of the Spirit. Let me pray now that God will help us to have that kind of patience. Please pray with me. Dear Father God, just thank you for your demonstration of what patience looks like, that long suffering, that restraint. And Lord, I thank you for what you've done for me and others in this room, the way you've been that restraint, the way you've been long suffering when we fail you, when we chase other things and don't trust you. Thank you for your patience. Lord, we thank you for giving us this calling, this fruit of the Spirit. You give us your Spirit to, to live like you, to be like you, to have this patience like you. So, Lord, I pray as a confession, Lord, that's really hard. It's easy to get bitter. It's easy to get angry. Lord, please forgive us in our shortcomings. But, Lord, help us to be quick to forgive. Lord, help us to be desiring not only the things you want for us, but your timeline for your time frames for our lives. And Lord, let us support each other in that journey as a church family here, that we bring all things to you and that knowing that you're a Father God who loves us when we come to you with our prayers. So Lord, I pray that you would be knowing the concerns of each of our hearts, that you would help us to learn to be patient. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.